Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Good afternoon, everybody. Our guest, Roberta Grimes, is a business attorney, novelist, and speaker based in Austin, Texas, who had two extraordinary experiences of light as a child that propelled her into wanting some answers. And so today, Roberta is taking us up another notch, viewing life from all of her studies, nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent communications from the dead and other afterlife-related evidence that eventually enabled her to assemble an in-depth understanding of who and what we are, how reality works, the nature of God, and the meaning and purpose of our lives. Paula, we are certainly headed for a fully packed hour of touching life like never before. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show. I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Yes, Taz. um, Roberta has learned so much about the death process and the period immediately following death that in 2010 she published a brief summary of the best information called The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, and her sequel about the afterlife, The Fun of Staying in Touch, that documents the many ways in which the dead contact us and the wonderful recent research that is making it easier for us to contact them. Hmm. Well, Paula, you got to admit, it's quite an awakening being able to touch the other side like this an experience, a first-hand experience with Roberta's research. She calls this a travel log. This is a huge story. <laughs> Roberta Grimes, we are so thrilled to have you with us today. Welcome. I am so thrilled to be with you both. This is the happiest. I mean, death has an undeservedly bad name because it's the best time of, of most of our lives. And it's more important, I think, now that we start looking at the good things in life rather than the negatives. Death is a really positive thing, so let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. Well, Roberta, I'm curious uh, to start with. I'm really curious of what happened to you when you were a little girl and uh, made you so curious about all of this. Well, when I was eight and I was a good little Christian child, I woke up in the middle of the night and realized there's no God. And I was terrified. And in the middle of my fear, 
there was a brilliant flash of white light in the room. Like, like, have you ever seen magnesium burning, that brilliant white light, but you could look at it, it didn't hurt your eyes? And it was wow. in the room. I still remember the awful wallpaper and the toys where they were and everything because I saw that light shine on all the things in the room. And there was a young male voice that said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. Wow. And because at eight, everything is surprising, so therefore nothing is, I just figured, oh, if you forget that there's a God, they remind you how handy. And I went back to sleep. (laughs) And then, then, but I thought it was like normal. You would learn about this in school. They had to mention, you know, if you forget, this is what, whatever, nothing. I didn't tell anyone what had happened. I never asked a question. So, of course, I never got an answer. And then I even, when I went to college, I majored in religion because I figured when you get to college, they'll finally tell you what that was. But again, no questions, no answers. So by the time I was 20, I was pretty pretty depressed about it all because what do you do with a religion major when you're not even Catholic? I couldn't even be a nun. I didn't know what to do. So I, I sat down on my bed one evening. It was like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, so full daylight feeling really glum. And over my right shoulder and splashing in the room was the same light. And the same young male voice said, I will never leave you. So that was the experience that started me on my journey because I I didn't I knew the the um first experience had been real. There was no question in my mind and it felt like it, it to this day, sixty years later, it feels like it just happened last night. That's they these are forever fresh experiences. But I, without that refresher sort of kick in the head um, which I felt really stupid about. It's like, nobody has had this happen once. I had to get it twice. I must be the dunce of the universe. For years, I prayed, God, I understand you're always there. Don't ever do that to me again. And so I've never had, sadly, I, that was a stupid prayer. I, I've never had it happen again. But it shaped my life, and I'm sure that's what, what it was intended to do. Huh. Well, when, so, you, were, when you were investigating your with your book, um, in all of your insightful investigations that you dove into, what was the most unusual that you didn't anticipate? Oh, there was there was so much. Do we have do we have how many hours do we have? <laughs> <laughs> everything was amazing. Everything, everything. It was so incredible. I began by reading um, accounts of communications with the dead. It turns out they were trying in the early part of the 20th century, 100 years ago, there was a really concerted effort on the part of dead scientists and and you know specialists to try to get word to us of their survival. They've been trying to tell us this, and but there was a real burst of activity in the early part of the 20th century. So there's hundreds and hundreds of very good very evidential, solid communications from the dead received either through deep trance mediums, channels, or automatic writing. And received over, you know, I looked intensively at anything before 1900 and right up through about 1940 or 50. So there's like 70 or 80 years there of really good communications, everything I could find in English, so therefore from several different countries. So the odds against chance for there to be even a lot of similarities are pretty strong. I mean, some would probably say clouds. Some would say, you know, uh, there's a hell. I mean, all different things that they you'd think they would introduce if they were faking it. 
they all went to the same place. They all had the same kinds of experiences. The physics was the same. The process was the same. Now, they all had different experiences. They were different people. But it was the same place. That's, that was my first amazement. So the odds, as I say, against chance for that were so large, I knew this had to be real. This is real. There has to be a physics, though, because the physics of the afterlife is very different from the physics of this level. And I didn't, never have even taken high school physics. I had no interest in physics at all, but I knew that there had to be a scientific grounding for it. And so my first amazement was all the same. Every, I have never found an outlier communication received before by 1940. I haven't looked later because I figure people are making stuff up later. But back then, they were really trying to get the truth to us. So the second amazing thing I found was when in this century, or first 10 years of this century, there started to be a lot of good quantum physics for dummies stuff coming out. And I was the classic quantum physics for dummy student. So I started reading this stuff, and I found that the quantum physics actually is a plug between this level of reality and the level where the levels where the dead reside, which is frankly most of reality. Because what's there is just a pure form of quantum physics. It's a consciousness-based physics. Wow, that was my second big discovery. You know, this is thrilling. But the third is probably the one that still amazes me the most. I had been a very, as you can imagine, a very strict and, and deep Christian, and I read the Bible over and over and over and over again until I was in my early 50s, and then I stopped because it was clear to me that what, what my church and all the others were teaching wasn't true. It just wasn't true. I've never seen a single instance of God or any religious figure ever judging anybody, and certainly there's never been a need for Jesus to die for anybody's sins, ever, ever. So I stopped reading the Bible for more than a decade. But finally, since I'd read it so much, I started thinking, you know, Jesus said, us things, said to us things that were kind of similar to what the dead are saying. I, went, I, I got brave. I went back and read the Gospels. And I discovered that somebody walked the earth 2,000 years ago who said he knew this stuff. And he told us things about God, reality, death, and the afterlife that we could not have confirmed by any means until the 20th century. Little wow. things as well as big things. And that was well, the biggest was taken, a, lot, a lot was surprise. taken out of the Bible, too. <clears throat> yes, and I'm not looking at the whole Bible. I'm looking there, there are four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the only place where the words of Jesus are reported. I mean, each of them is an account of his teachings during his lifetime. And he told us the truth. And he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And was he ever right about that? I've come to believe that there is a lot we don't understand about Jesus and his mission and his message because we don't actually read the Gospels. We think of the whole Bible as sort of this is magic thinking. It's all the inspired word of God, right? But if you just read the Gospels, you really, really get the truth. And I can prove that independently because of, of all the rest of the study I've done. So I, I, that was what made me say I've got to write a book because – People need to know this. They need to know this is true. I mean, I would stake my life on it easily. I'd stake everybody's life on it. We all do stake our lives on even being here. We stake our lives on there being some reason why we're here and that, that it be worthwhile. And what I've discovered is that we are extraordinarily important. Our minds are part of the of the source of the universe. We There are so many people who have found these truths and been ignored. And so what I'm trying to do because I'm, you know, basically just a pointer. I'm trying to point at all these wonderful people who found the truth and were ignored. And Max Planck, who got the Nobel Prize for 
where quantum physics is one. He said human consciousness is primary and pre-existing. He was absolutely right. It's the same, same consciousness as brought forth the universe. Hmm. So, Roberta, I'm you sorry. Are... That, that was a short version of, of the three no, biggest that, things I learned. That's awesome. Well, you know what? You are a wife, a mother, a grandmother. And so my question to you is how did this affect you and others around you when you were working on this book and what took place? I mean, what did you find people's thoughts about this? Understand this has been a lifelong search for me and yeah. it it's been in it's been nothing that I ever was I, I didn't go public with it until until the fun of dying. Um I'm I'm an attorney. I mean I wear suits, I go meet with serious men about serious things. I'm a business attorney. So having to come out to those people that that just knew me that way, that had known me that way for decades, was a little bit strange. But I just said, I've got, I've got this interesting hobby. I'm putting out a book. And they, the, their reactions were funny because they went from uh, excitement and they wanted to read my book and they love it and they pass it to their friends to, uh, oh, that's interesting. Now, back to this contract. I mean, some people didn't <laughs> want to know. They did not want to know. And and I accepted whatever their, their reaction was, but it was, in retrospect, it was funny. My family, um, I've been married for 42 years to a strict Catholic, so that makes an interesting marriage. <laughs> when, when I was, I started out as Catholic as I could possibly be. I was a lector. I, I taught Sunday school. I did everything. And as I, because of my devotion to Jesus. But, but when I came to the point in my life where I knew I could make a choice, I could either be a Christian or a follower of Jesus, but I couldn't, knowing what I knew, be both. I chose to be a follower of Jesus. And my husband, being a saint, has accepted that. And he, he uh, it's fine. My, my kids think it's normal for mothers to have this weird hobby so they're fine with it they're all in their 30s now my grandchildren ask me questions um and i, I answer them and children accept it's things funny. like that children accept things the way other people other people really the older we get the more we self-censor children really don't um they just live in joy especially young ones but it's been, um, I have to say, honestly, I'm very lucky. I've got a very supportive and loving family and a wonderful husband. And so it's been good. <laughs> it's not, okay, it's not what? been, it's not, I was just going to say, it hasn't harmed my life at all that I've done this. And I feel very blessed about that. Well, explain the day that you decided to sit down and write this book. I mean, what was the final decision that made you say, okay, this is it, I'm going to write this book? Um, I'll, I'll tell you what really happened. I this was in the in the early spring of 2009. Um, I was starting to. I had I had discovered Jesus told us all this stuff 2,000 years ago, and I wanted to give my life to God. Um, I'd done everything I could possibly want to do for myself, so I pray in gratitude affirmations. So in April or May of that year, I started a couple times a day just saying. Thank you for giving me work to do. Thank you for showing me how to do it. I gave my life to God. And I can't tell you how hard that is for most people to do. I didn't realize it until I started telling other people to do it. But we're all afraid God will want you to do something icky, right? Go to, you know, go missionary or whatever. Do something that you don't want to do. Well, no, God has a plan for each of us, which is much better than anything we could dream up ourselves. Because 
in August, I found that I was writing this book. I didn't realize I was doing that. I thought I was just doing some study materials for a class I was was teaching at um, a, a Unity Church. Unity Churches um, are okay in my book because they don't teach the stuff that is just not true. But um, after that course was over, I was still writing. And so it got to be in the fall, and I'm, I thought, hey, I'm writing this book. This is exciting. But I didn't set out to write it. It just... And then I was talking to a a psychic friend of mine in probably September or October. I think it was October. And she called me out of the blue. I never talked to her, but she called me. We were chatting. She said, I just want you to know you have five dead clergymen working with you. Just want you to know that. Oh, wow. Are you aware of them? And I said, no clue. (laughs) I'm totally unpsychic. So she told me about them. And one of them is very advanced. She said, I'm surprised he even is involved in the earth anymore. And one of them is, is very famous. So when I heard the famous name, I said, why would he care about working with me? And she said, he wants to set the record straight. They all do. (laughs) Can you give us who that person is, the name? No, I've never told anyone. I I don't think it's now. I don't think I'm supposed to tell. Because I I don't think that that person wants it to be about him, and I know I don't want it to be about me. This is about the truth. But it seems clear to me that if I had been teaching what Christian clergymen teach and then died and realized how different the truth is, and in fact, I went back and looked at the Gospels and said, Jesus told us this stuff, we just have been ignoring him, I think I'd want to set the record straight. But since you've read The Fun of Dying, you know I I do use quotations um, fairly liberally from Jesus. I think this is big news. I don't care if his name could have been Joe Smith, but somebody walked the earth 2,000 years ago who said he knew this stuff, and I can now confirm it. That's wonderful, wonderful affirmation of the of the evidence that's modern, but it's also wonderful proof that that person was real. I think that's neat, neat. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever thought about writing about the Gospels and uh, the true meaning? I, I kind of do that. There's an appendix in The Fun of Dying in which I... There are a lot of quotations from the Gospels, and um, I then relate them to what the afterlife evidence says so that we can think about what what he really meant when he said them. I mean, there are some, there's probably 5% of the Gospels that are obvious edits because we know they edited. But the wonder is that if, and, and we, there were two, two translations. There was one from Aramaic to Greek, and they're totally different languages. And then they went from Greek to English. So what we have, it's in that there's any correspondence between the Gospels and what he actually said is, is so unlikely. But then when we look at the Gospels, they're correct about 95 percent of it is totally correct. I can show you exactly when the evidence what it means. That is amazing by itself. And the fact yeah. that the Catholic Church had it for 2,000 years and didn't mess with it more than they did, what a gift that is to us. Yeah. You know, you have a quote in there. It says, um, it was from um, Jesus. You call him Yahshua, and um, it was Luke seventeen twenty and twenty one, and it says the kingdom of God does not come visibly, nor will people say here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. I thought that was really uh, beautiful. He said it. Yeah, and now we know yeah. what he means. Yeah, your mind, exactly. your mind is a powerful, eternal part of the source of of God. 
Mm-hmm. We're part of God. Every, and all, we're all part of the same entity, so essentially there's only one of us. And that's where the kingdom of God is. It do, isn't going to spread on the earth. He's right about that. And all the people who are looking for it will be mistaken. We've got to start working on the growth of our spiritual our spiritual selves, which are the only part of us that's real. The rest of it is not. Yeah. From your perspective, how is it possible that the truth of after death has been so well hidden for so long? Well, um, we had we have two very powerful sources of information which are have together conspired to keep the truth from us. And conspired sounds strong, but I don't think it really is. Thousands of years ago, you know, we had, we had Plato and Aristotle, and they had they began to separate truths. Things are either physical truths or they're spiritual truths. Then never the twain shall meet. Now, that separation was fairly benign back then. It was sort of a way of looking at the world. Um, But it became much less benign as time went on. In the early part of the 20th century, which is the part I was studying so much, it was very clear that mainstream science would not look at anything that might get anywhere near finding God. And the reason is simple. They don't want religion to win. They don't want religion to win. So what we have is, and, and of course, religions, I'm thinking of Christianity in particular, are not about any new information. They deny God the opportunity to make new revelation, which to me is appalling. But that's what they, they build their teachings, uh, spiritual teachings around dogmas. So now we have two sets of dogmas. We've got atheism among the scientists and theism among the religionists. And the fact is, between those two extremes, there's been this enormous body of, of information building. But it's like in a valley between two you know, fortresses. Nobody wants to own it, so it's been sitting there. And so for 100 years, people have been coming across it, like me, and studying it. And it's like you start, you can't, it's like the best kind of candy in the world. You can't stop because you keep getting new, you find new things. And the new things lead you to other things. And everything you learn is more wonderful than the previous thing you learned. It's like, oh, my goodness, we have this. And then we also get that. And then there's that other thing. I mean, they say you can't take it with you. You can. Anything you miss, when you're in the Summerland, you sort of miss a book, you turn around and it's right there. Your mind has created it for you. It's solid and as real as anything you see in the room around you. Now, I have a question. So wonderful. I have a question for you. Um, I do a little bit of mediumship myself, and I I get that a lot of them, when it comes through, they say they're at school. They're going through Mm -hmm. school up there. Yeah. Have you come across that before? Well, I'm not a medium as <laughs> at no, all. No, but I mean, but, have you but have you Yes, yes. This is school. This is kindergarten. Where we are right now, this level of reality is for the kids to learn the basics. And the basics are to learn to love perfectly and learn to forgive completely. As we advance, there is more advanced spiritual teaching. And in the afterlife levels, we are avid to learn spiritually and develop spiritually because the more we learn and develop spiritually the happier we are i mean the bliss of spiritual union with others is so beyond any sex you ever had in your life that's just the reality all the pleasures of this earth pale beside where we're going there but it's not easy as we get higher and so there's a lot of classes there are the hints in the afterlife evidence of all kinds of classes both in you know loving and forgiving in more advanced 
stuff that I can't even imagine in, in, in creating. I mean, they learn how to mentally create flowers, and the flowers then are permanent. Um, the, the, all the things we can learn. We, of course, there's a lot of classes in music. People who want to learn to play an instrument can learn to play from a recognized master. One woman in the afterlife evidence said she was learning to play the piano and her teacher was Mozart. Um, there's all that. There's, there's painting and doing all the things. Anything you want to learn to do, you can do there. Um, and, and one of the things that there, there are classes in is how to handle something rough on earth. There was one um, fellow who said that he had just encountered a group of people going into a class, and they all looked very sober. So he had asked the person standing to the side who was a very advanced being, he had asked them, what's the class they're going into? And the fellow said, there's going to be a great calamity on the earth, and they have chosen to be victims of it because they'll learn from that experience. I don't know whether it was the Holocaust. I don't know what it was, but they were getting toughened up spiritually, so they'd be able to deal with what they what they had chosen to experience on Earth. Wow! Hmm. That must be amazing. Happened, well, you know what? It's it, this is really cool because so when we die, this is not an ending. <laughs> no, it's just the beginning. It's really this is like like that little pre class you might take before they let you step on the ice and actually skate. That's what this is. It's really not even it's very basic stuff, which is makes it tragic really that we don't even know what we're supposed to be doing because we're not paying attention. Even Christians are who who theoretically follow Jesus don't pay attention to what he taught. That's true of many, many religious people. Um, for Christians, the problem is somebody decided that they could keep you faithful if if they told you that only if you're a Baptist or a Catholic or whatever do you get into heaven, otherwise you go to hell. But if you're if you're of the right denomination and you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, even on your deathbed, you get a, a get-out-of-hell-free card. Well, who wouldn't want that? Without any work, I can do whatever I want my whole life, and then with my last breath accept Jesus as my Savior, and I'm shooting to the top. That does not happen. It doesn't happen. Every day we are do, we are building our eternity, and we're building it either for good or for ill, because the, there is a judgment indeed, and it's a it's a wicked judgment, and the, the judge is yourself. And Jesus says that actually. He just says it in a complicated way. But if you read the Gospels and know the truth, you can you can see he said it. We are allowed to see, actually probably made to see, but we get to see all the events of our lives, first from our perspective and then from the perspective of everybody we ever affected. So you get to feel how you made everybody else feel, for good or ill. People who have been through it say it's the hardest thing they've ever done to see how they affected people carelessly. You know, the, the things they did that hurt people's feelings or, or, or the things they could have done so easily and didn't do and, and what happened as a result of that. And it's hard to forgive yourself. It really is, which is why learn to forgive here. Get that muscle flexed so when you have to forgive yourself, it becomes easier. But they don't tell, the, the Christians don't tell people that. They tell them, you know, we have the card. But there is no card. And that's well, that's a way fact. of controlling. That's a real way yes, of controlling. Yes, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a money game. You know, so someone said, "Follow the money." Well, you can do that in both science and religion, and understand why we have this truth that's been kept from us. I mean, it's tragic that the people doing this work and bringing it forth, none of us, well, a few of us are scientists. Most of us um, are not, because scientists will lose their careers if they try to understand the truth. 
And Taz and Paula, here's something to think about. This reality that scientists believe they own and they're right on top of, we got this fixed, we got this covered, we're all set, it's 5% of what they know exists. 5%. Mm-hmm. 5% of the universe is, is material matter and, and uh, material energy. 95% of it plus is dark matter and dark energy. Called dark, they know it's there, they just can't figure out what it is because... It doesn't interact with material photons. It doesn't give off material light, and it doesn't reflect material light. So they know it's there, but they can't figure out what it is. Of course, you and I can figure out what it is, right? right. Because there are there are six levels of the afterlife, which ex- exist exactly where we are and below the source level, which would make a seventh. They're all exactly in the same place, just on a slightly higher vibratory rate. It's like a it's like it's like your TV set. Your TV set's on the table. It's turned off. But in the room are all these different signals. And if you turn it on to, to a certain vibratory level, you pick up a reality there. And right now you're tuned to, the, uh, to this, this level of reality and to that body on this level of reality. That's why you think you're in that body, which you're not. Your mind's nowhere near it. Just, just the signal gets picked up. So we, we live our lives, and then it gets time to, be, to die. All that happens is our minds tuned to a higher level of reality and we pick up a whole new solid reality just as if we had changed channels on a television set. It's that simple. But there are six of those and conveniently 27% of the uh, of the matter that they know exists is dark matter. So we have 5% versus 27%. That's pretty close to 6 to 1, wouldn't you say? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, do so we, we go know in group? I mean, do, when do, we go, do we go in group, what do you mean? Uh, different groups of people. Do we we come in with a soul group? Some people say there are do, there are a lot of um, ways that that question can be answered because it's complicated. We we all belong to soul groups which allow us to incarnate fairly easily with our basically we, it's like a group of people who incarnate together. But some of the people in our lives we've never incarnated with before. Um, some of them are people we've had, you know, maybe you were his mother in another lifetime, and you know, or you you're female now. You could have been um, maybe one of you was the husband and one was the wife in another lifetime. So you've always been close but we change genders and we change relationships with each lifetime. So, yes, there's that. But then there are a lot of situations where people are in our lives who've never been in our lives before. Um, there's a lot of evidence, for example, in my case, that I, wanted, I needed to come in at a particular time and place so my parents are not part of my soul group. Um, you know, And it makes sense to me for a lot of reasons that I don't need to bore you with, but but that's how it works. We plan our lives in conjunction with the people who will be part of our lives. And it's a very, very complicated, carefully worked out, carefully you know, detailed life plan that integrates with all these other life plans. And, and if we plan a lot of bad stuff, which people, we try to do, you know, I, I'm, oh, I'm going to plan to have the house burned down, the children in it, it makes me a quadriplegic, and look at all I'll learn from that. Look at all the growth that will come from that. And so a council will say to us, now let's think this through. Don't you think that will break you, not help you? And they'll make us pair it back to, you know, we're not a quadriplegic and only one child dies, something like that. But I've seen evidence that that's what goes on. So then we all come in, we're living our lives, 
we might do well or not so well with a with, with a with a test. Uh, it's not even a test. It's like think of it more as a gym. When you go to a gym, if you don't work hard and make your muscles hurt, you don't get any growth. Well, here, you know, gym exercises could be a bad accident or or a, a mother-in-law we hate or things like that. Those are the those are the instruments in this gym that are helping us grow our spiritual muscles. And if we don't do well with something, we might want more of that kind of problem so that we can learn to solve it. We got to exercise that muscle muscle more. And, or if um, if we ace it out, we may decide we don't need some other lessons that have been planned later in our lives. We leave our bodies at night, and part of what we do when we leave our bodies is we meet with um, the out of body with the people who are key in our lives at the moment, and their guides and our guides, and we all sort of you know well, how do we need to fix things? So we're always adjusting the plan as we go through life, but um, it's all there isn't anything about it that is cruel or random or negative at all even the worst and i know friends who are who are in you know they have problems really serious problems now it's hard to look at them in the eye and say you know you planned this but i do i say this was what you planned and you are going to be sad if you don't do the best you can with this lesson let's figure out how to help you do that wow uh let me just take a minute and let people know we're um talking with roberta grimes and um, her website is robertagrimes.com. And um, she has two books, The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, and the uh, sequel, The Fun of Dying, or the, excuse me, The Fun of Staying in Touch. Um, There's a third book. And you're going to be actually in the East West Bookstore area yes. October, October the 24th and in uh, um in uh, Mountain View on Castro oh, yes. Street. So these are uh, my dear friends. I May mean, I just say these are I just love the people there. This is my third time back and I'm so looking forward to it. There'll be a free lecture Thursday the twenty third at seven thirty PM at we East West Bookshop in Mountain View. And come to the free lecture because it's not going to be a lecture, they called it that. It's going to be fun. I will I will tell you a lot of things. I'll answer questions because people, what I have found is the people in that area are so sophisticated. They have excellent questions. We'll have a lot of fun with it. But then on Saturday the 25th at 1 o'clock, there'll be a workshop. And I really look forward to that because we'll really get into some of these things and we'll talk about some of the details that interest people and we'll talk about the larger scope too. I mean, there are some implications of the quantum physics variant we've found which are pretty boggling and we'll talk about some of those. And we'll also talk about more of the fun that you get to have when you get there. I mean, it's really, it's really such a glorious truth. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to be dead. Why would you okay. want to come back? Why would you want to come back? Well, because we want to grow spiritually. I mean, it's great to be on level three of the Summerland, which is beautiful. It's beyond belief beautiful. It looks like the Earth, only much more gorgeous. And it's all permanent. There's no decay. It's just beautiful. But there's a level four, there's a level five, and there's a level six. And to get to, to those levels, we've we got to have those muscles really tuned. It's very hard to make spiritual progress there. You can do it, but it's much harder because there's nothing to pull against. It's like, you know, you want to you wanna strengthen your muscles, but you don't want to go to the gym. Well, when you're there, you a you feel powerful and eternal. You know, you know the truth. You're not you're not afraid to go back to the earth because you know how trivial it is. So you plan that lifetime, and then part of coming back is 
we forget that the truths. And because we forget them, we think that what's around us is real. We think the horrible things that happen are real, but they're not. None of them are. So, yes, that's why we want to come back. We're still trying to learn. You really picked a good life to come back to. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you what a gift it is. It is a gift. And I've met so many wonderful people and gotten to know them on the journeys that they're on, and I just can't tell you how much I love my life, how much I love the opportunity to, to help people share, to share these truths with people. Because I don't think anybody should take my word for any of this. I, this, is a, this is a science. Your grandchildren will be learning it in school. This is a new science. It's, it's a, a consciousness-based physics. And from that new science comes so many, such a range of facts that I, I, we, we couldn't in a week talk about all of them. And it's exciting to be able to be part of that, but I have no illusions. I'm not a scientist. But within the next 10 to 15 years, and when, this is one thing I say in the fun of staying in touch, people are working actively on what they call a soul phone, a way to have direct, and we already have direct electronic communication with dead people. We've already gotten calls from them and made calls to them. That's already happened. We've had the Wright Brothers flight. But what we're trying to do is come up with, or they are, I'm not, I'm just an idiot watching them. We're, they're, they're trying to come up with ways to do this that are so easy and replicable that anybody can do it. And I'm telling you, think about this. When the first time it becomes known that anybody who's just lost a child or a husband and is in deep grief can have a chat in real time with them and hear what they're doing and that, that they're fine. I don't care what the scientists say. I don't care how they try to debunk it. They'll just make themselves ridiculous. It's just really going to be big. Are there some ones that decide to stay up there and just help us on this side, and that's all they do is yes. they help us? Most of the people helping us, most of our guides, and we all have them. Usually we have one or two. Sometimes we have more. Um, most of the, the guides are people who go back and forth like us. We, we'll take our turn as a guide before long, too. Because remember, in an eternal life, there's a lot of time. You can do many, many things in that time. But um, I'm trying to think. I've only, I only know of one and that um, who didn't ever want to come back after the first one. There probably are others that, you know, that I know about that has been re- reported. But most people don't see the, the problems with earth life as nearly as big as, as we all do. Even people who've had terrible lives on earth, they're properly prepared before they come in. And they, on a, your superconscious is most of your mind. It's not a, not a subconscious, it's a superconscious. It's very, very powerful. And your little bitty mind doesn't really know this stuff, but your superconscious does. And it tries to keep you on a steady path, as do your guides to comfort you, to strengthen you, to make sure that, um, that that you learn and grow and you're not overmatched by the things you've chosen. It's a very loving, gentle process. So most people, mm. most people have had hundreds of lives. That's the evidence. You know, recently I've experienced a love for humanity I've never imagined, and it was so magnificent. I, I had an awakening experience of crying that came out of my voice that I've never heard myself access before. It was uh, of a thankfulness, a humbleness that there were no words to describe um, this, to describe it that I got to experience it. It's just really, it was, it was beautiful. It, it was 
and I thought, wow, you know, and that's happened to me actually a couple of times over this last year. And um, and it's just so thankful of being able to have that connection. It's almost like you can't even touch it. You can't touch it, but you can experience it. It's It's just really amazing. Bless you. Isn't that a wonderful experience? Yeah. I mean, to 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 basically to touch the divine that way to 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 have this revelation that we are all one being. That's why yeah. you have this love for humankind. There's only one of us here. We're all part of one being. Jesus said that too. The guy said everything. He said, "Love your neighbor sure as yourself." Love your neighbor as yourself. We read, "Love your neighbor as if you were yourself." Okay. But no, I have found no Bible translation that has it any other way. Love your neighbor as yourself. The only explanation could be is he means to say because he is yourself. That's how we are meant to love people. That is how strong it should be. You know, Isn't that truly when, wonderful? Um, it's beautiful. You know, when um, you look at children who are dying of cancer, are you there? Hi. Hi. Oh, we lost her. Oh, yes. my goodness. She probably went... To, was that your phone ringing or hers? No, uh-uh. it was hers, I think. Well, let's hope that she calls back in. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, so, anyway, uh, she, she was really on a roll. <laughs> I know. Oh, here she is. Oh, good. Trust me, I'm sorry. Welcome I'm, back. I'm, I, I said you were really on a roll, too. <laughs> well, well I, I get so worked up, I just blank out totally. I mean, what can I say? No, I, I often feel that way. You you can, anyone listening who thinks that this is, that it's not possible to change the way you see the world and to truly live in joy, in the perfect joy of loving everybody else so much, Anybody can do it. It just cha- means changing the way you see yourself and, and, and developing a deeper understanding. As I started to say, w- w- everybody should do your own research. The, the part of the fun of dying and part of the fun of staying in touch also is a um, an appendix where uh, I give 70 books, which if you read even some of them, you'll know everything I know. You can you can duplicate my research, and it doesn't have to take you 50 years, which it did for me. Um and I urge people to do it because Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Direct mm, quote. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This is the yeah. truth. He was, yeah. you know, it's time finally to actually listen to Jesus. And and to me, that's that's why I ended up having to write these books, honestly, because I figured there are other people who could who probably were going to write about all this stuff, but I needed to write about it really simply. You can read my book in an evening easily. But also to try to, to, to make people understand, this is there's a depth of spiritual understanding that comes from knowing this stuff. It's, it's scientific, but it's spiritual. That separation they made 2,000 years ago was basically stupid. And it's been stupid to keep it separate ever since because the only reality that exists is non-material. It's spiritual. You can't separate it. Well, I see the two coming together. I mean, I see it yeah. coming together more and more because from Isn't our interviews. I mean, yes, and people that were non-believers are becoming believers. I mean, it's it's like the hundredth monkey theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Lord. I, you know, I have a, a lot of trouble with belief. I really can't believe things. I, I, I need to know them. I, I, it, everything I've done has been based in, I mean, I'm an attorney. I've been taught how to research things and, and how to um, establish truths. And everything that I've ever done has been in that. You know, people will ask me whether I believe in, in the afterlife. No, I don't. I know that we are eternal beings, and I can give you information about what happens after our bodies die. But that does, that's not the same as believing in an afterlife. It's better to know. Why would anybody settle for just believing? <laughs> well, I was starting you know, you, to say, but just as you were cut off, is I see children, little children dying of cancer, and they seem to have the wisdom of that. I mean, you can see it in yeah. their eyes. I mean, it's, yeah, I can tell you something about when children die. Um, there's a lot of evidence that anyone who dies below the age of 20, A, is a much more advanced being, didn't need to have a whole lifetime here to learn things, and B, came to do that short life and then to die um, as a gift to his family or, his, or her family. Now, it may feel like a terrible gift, but it's a spiritual gift all the same. And when you understand that that relationship is eternal, it, the, the break in it is tiny for that short period of separation. And then the growth to come from going through that as a parent or a family is, is apparently something that all the participants chose. It's very, very different from we all, what we've believed all our lives, isn't it? Sure is. Wow. Okay, I pushed the right button this time. <laughs> <laughs> you have a quote in your book that I, you know, it, it speaks to what you're talking about, and it's uh, Joshua, uh, John 14, 2 uh-huh. and 3. It says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Um, it's, you know, it's really beautiful. Um, yes, and people have always thought it was lovely poetry. You know, it's just, but it turns out it's practical. Jesus said, said this to his disciples who were his closest friends shortly before he died. And what he said was, I'm good. This is exactly what what we do when when someone in a family or in a, a group of friends leaves early, they go and they prepare a place for us to live. There because there are houses everywhere, and because it's so large, it's much less crowded than here. You you could have a house in the middle of nowhere, and then because we travel by mind, you can be in the city in a second. But they go, they build the house that's usually very much like people's earth house, and then when it's time for your time to join them, they come get you. So he was giving us a very practical account of what will happen. After I die, I'm going to go build you a house. I'll come back and get you. That's what he was saying, and it's true. That's why I say it's so astonishing all this is, you know, comes together. He told us the truth. You know, it's pretty interesting. Uh, a few years back, my daughter had a dream, and it was about my mother and father, um, which was her grandparents on the other side. She said, Mom, it was like, I mean, I could touch them. And she said, Grandpa came up in an MG zooming up uh, to a house on the ocean, and the the ocean waves were coming up over the uh, driveway where he was, and she, and she acted like really afraid. And, he, afraid. and uh, she said, Grandpa said, oh, 
don't worry, honey. Everything's beautiful here. You don't have to worry about a thing. We're perfectly okay. And anyhow, she said uh, her her grandma and grandpa were living on the ocean, and uh, they loved the ocean. And she said it was so funny. She said that, you know, she could just touch them. She was really there. So uh, I thought that was really um really a beautiful dream and and again she thought it was really real in her dream when she came back so there there is it's very common for people to have um what are called communication dreams i've had two in my life the you could tell them pretty easily from from uh, regular vapory dreams because they don't uh-huh. fade before lunch uh, they're very clear in your mind even years later and they te- they usually involve communication sometimes unspoken uh, they're always happy. You know, you get to spend time, not always, almost always happy. You get to spend time with someone that you love, and it feels real. And then they're not there anymore. But you somehow know that you have been with them. Communication dreams are wonderful, and that's a really neat one. Yeah. What's interesting about it is the ocean, because there's a lot of evidence that that all bodies of water there, there's not the kind of geography there that, that's here. It's quite, all quite different for a lot of reasons. But all those bodies of water are basically simulated. In other words, you have an ocean-going... There was a wonderful story of a woman who had made an ocean-going yacht for her husband, a great big liveaboard yacht, because he always wanted one, but he was poor. But it was was like in a bathtub. It was in just a small space because they didn't have a big ocean there. However, because the ocean was what was important to to, to those relatives... They got an ocean. I think that's really, really neat, but it's typical of how well we are treated, how carefully our experiences are planned to make us happy. I forget the movie that Robin Williams starred in, but it was about the uh, the, uh, afterlife. And in the movie, it was exactly what you're describing, exactly. You could get what you want by painting. I forget the name of it. It was a wonderful movie. What was it? What dreams may come? Was that the one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, his wife yeah. had passed away, and yeah, so it was a wonderful movie. It I was yeah, it ask. wasn't exactly like what we know to be true, but um, it was enough like it that it it's, it does give you a flavor of what it's like. I was going to ask you: Are there uh, earthbound spirits that are stuck oh, yeah. here in? Yes. Can we, some of them can deliberately, some of them against their will. Oh, yeah, that's a whole big area we need to talk about. One of the things that can cause people to become earthbound is being distracted as they're leaving their bodies because when you leave, you first leave your body and the silver cord breaks, you feel very powerful, young, terrific, healthy. You were just in a, you know, in a shell of a horrible dying body and suddenly you feel wonderful. And you have around you loved ones who've come for you, one one or a crowd, some number of people you will trust and go with. But you don't want to leave because you see how desperately sad people are around your bed. So you, you, you try to comfort them. You can't do that. When you're out of your body and when the silver cord is broken, you've got to go with your deathbed visitors no matter, matter how much you want to comfort your loved ones. You can, you can fix it more for them, make them feel better once you get to the other side, as it's called. But... It's possible for people who try, who get distracted at the wrong time that way, to get stuck here. And what that hap- what happens then is they become basically ghosts. People um, will see- report seeing a ghost that would dress like somebody hundreds of years ago would dress, going right through a wall, and not a problem. She's still in the same afternoon when she died, she- when there was a wall, a, a door in that wall. I- I'm-, I'm from the east, and 
some of the houses are very old. I, they they rehabbed the house. The door's not there, but since she still <laughs> sees everything as it was when she died. But think of how tragic that is. It's so unnecessary. Just go with your loved ones. Know that, that who have come for you, who, have, who are dead, knowing that you always can come back and communicate with um, your the, the people who are here. And I'm doing everything I can to get the word to people about what to look for. I'm already hearing stories from people. Um, I just heard from someone who, he and his wife were reading The Fun of Staying in Touch, and he told me things were happening around them from their loved ones that, they, and, I mean, I won't, I won't go into detail because it would take too long, that, that they, they were just bowled over by it, but they wouldn't have noticed it before. Um, so learning the truth is so important because it, it empowers you to be able to get on top of these things, which used to be the scariest parts of life, and they're, they're really the most joyous parts of life. Hmm. In your book, you have a quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the physician, and she says, I've told my children that when I die, to release balloons in the sky to celebrate that I graduated. For me, death death is a graduation, yeah. Um, Oh, she's one of my big heroes. I I mainly call it graduation. That's what I most commonly call it, because that's what it is. We're we're in kindergarten. Let's try to get to first grade, you know, and and that's really what it is. That's why in they... They make a big party of it. They celebrate that in Bali. Yes. But we need so, we need knowledge. Religions cannot give us knowledge because religions are belief systems. We don't need beliefs. Nobody should should care what I believe or anybody believes. We should learn the truth for ourselves because there is it is possible to learn truth and to live truth. You don't have to just settle for beliefs. And, oh, it's so empowering. You feel happy all the time when you know these truths. Nothing can make you sad, and you're not afraid of anything either, because fear of death is the base fear. When you don't have that fear, you don't have any fears at all. You certainly don't fear God. God is infinite love. I always said I don't fear death. I just feel <laughs> fear the pain that might come before it. But. Yes, but people who've gone through it will say that um, that turned out to be a very powerful set of lessons for them. Kubler-Ross, for example, she died of a very lingering form of cancer. And she railed at God. I know where I'm going. Will you take me already? But after her death, when she communicated with her children, she said that was the best, most important lesson I could have learned was that was, was all that came out of my having had that long long illness. Wow. So everything's a lesson. <laughs> it is. Everything. Well, yeah, everything is either love or a call for love. So whatever happens, love is the answer to it. Whatever happens is forgiveness is the answer to it. I have a question for you. After you found out that clergyman five came in to help you and help you write your book, did you ever call upon them? uh, I didn't need to. From that day on, every time I was going to write, they knew I was going to write that day, and I would wake up with a list in my mind of usually no more than three things, sometimes four, to either look up, fix, change, whatever. I didn't always agree, so I didn't always do it. So the next time I was going to write, the same thing would be on the list. And this went (laughs) on for several months. And when there were no more lists, I knew they were happy with the book. And since then, they have been the ones pushing me to write. I write novels, too. I hadn't written a novel in 20 years. I had had two novels published in the early 90s. But they're making me write novels obsessively. And all of this is, I know, coming from them. I couldn't do it. It's not channeled. It's more like they're my coaches and I'm their team, and they're making me do all this stuff. But um, (laughs) I'm delighted that they're helping me because I would be a perfect idiot at this without them. So I'm very grateful to them. 
these lists that you talked about, did they come from automatic writing? Did they just come? No, they were in my mind. I, oh, I, would write, I still, to this day, wake up with stuff in my mind that I better write down fast because it will fade, but it comes from obviously comes from them. They're prompting me to do this, to do that. Um, just, just They're trying to make sure that I do everything they need them to have done. So I'm their servant. Um, when I told God I would do whatever he wanted, he gave me a team to, to guide me, and thank you, God, for that. This is fun. I, I want, don't want anyone who's listening to us to think that this is in any way a burden. The greatest joy you can possibly have is to feel that you are being of real unique use to other people. What a gift it is. I just can't tell you. Every day I'm gloriously grateful for this gift. Oh, we're, we're grateful for your gift, too, because this opens up a conversation that needs to be opened up. Yes, that it does. That it does. And, and yeah. just anyone who is listening and is sort of clinging to saying Christianity is very important and stuff, I'm grateful to Paul. Paul did something which which was so essential. He took the teachings of a powerful eternal being who came to free us, frankly, I think, from religion. He took those teachings, he wrapped them in Hebrew prophecy and wrapped them in this first century Hebrew sacrificial religion so that we could have a gift now to open up that would confirm that all this is true. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for all the Christians all the years who preserved it, but it's time to open the gift. It's time to talk to Jesus himself and find out what he says. Yeah, yeah. I was I was reading some reviews about your book on Amazon, and somebody wrote, your book should be in every hospice. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, one of the people, there are a number of people who are, I think, just wonderful saints working in this, totally unrecognized, doing wonderful work in this field. And one of them is Michael Tim, who is he's quite old now, but he's written some, T-Y-M-N, Michael Tim, T-Y-M-N. Anything you read, there's a scholar. Um, read everything, read all his books. I love them. He said that. And when he said that, that made my whole year that year. <laughs> because... Because I felt if he said it, then what he was really saying is he knows probably as much or more about this than anyone else alive. And when he said my book was right. But see, that's why the clergymen were so necessary. Because if I had written this the way I wanted to write it, I would have made the biggest disaster you could possibly imagine. I didn't. I knew only parts of things. And, I, you know, you tend to think you know everything. And um, my clergyman made me fix it so it would be right and bless them for that. Uh-huh. Roberta, yes, I need to. Know, uh, I I need to really kind of step in and let people know we're we're talking with Roberta Grimes, and her website is robertagrimes.com. She will be at the East West Bookstore. You said October the twenty third. Did you mean twenty fourth? No, the twenty third. Oh. I'm I'm going to be on the on the twenty fourth. I'm going to be at the South Bay Ions, I A N D S, which is again okay. my third time with them. I love those people. So on Thursday, there's a free lecture at seven thirty on a, at East West Bookstore. Okay, that's the twenty third. Then the twenty fifth at one o'clock, we'll do the workshop at East West Bookstore. And the more okay. the merrier. Please come and just just let's let's celebrate the joy and let's talk about the facts. <laughs> this is really a pearl of the week for me. Um, we really have enjoyed having you so much, and um, uh, I think uh, I hope I can come in and see you. Uh, I'll certainly make an effort to get there. Um, uh, you know, it's so beautiful what you've done. 
for humanity. Oh, it's just, bless just, you, bless you. Please come and tell me, you know, hi, here I am, because um, I would love to meet you. And, and remember, the, the fun of staying in touch is a whole new thing to talk about. So if you've got another space on your show, I'd love to come back. Oh, yeah. Oh, we would <laughs> love to have you. You, yeah, there's so much that we haven't even touched today, so I know. we will. We'll, we'll make a spot for you in the future. Believe us. Thank you. Thank right. you so Thank much. You. This has been wonderful. It has. Bye bye. Blessings. Blessings to you and a big hug to everyone. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.